Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. In the past, I've had seasoned and also retired cops on the show, and so to balance things out, I wanted a fresh perspective, literally. So my next guest is Officer Bryce Fevold of the Spanish Fork, Utah Police Department. He's been on the force for just over a year and shares why, in our political climate, a young man would jump into a career in law enforcement. He's wise beyond his years, and I think you'll be surprised. All right, Bryce, man. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on. And and I've had several uh, law enforcement officers on before, old ones, like old guys like my age. <laughs> so, oh, like 30, 33? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I wish they were that. <laughs> You're with the Spanish Fork, Utah Police Department. Yep. How long have you been on the force? Um, A little over a year. A whole year. Yep. Okay, man. So with the the crazy environment and the, the, the climate that at least if, if one follows the media yeah. is that cops are the devil. So why <laughs> would you, totally. as a young, good looking man, say, I want to do that? Totally. Why'd you get in? Well, um, I probably start, I've, I've always been kind of a supporter of police, obviously, and just um, my mindset is towards I, I like how the law is written and um the constitution i think is is a perfect document and and how a, a government and community should be run um so i think policing is kind of like the, the face of that but those are just old white men yeah, man how can you follow that totally well like when when george floyd occurred i think that's when i really felt like i need to kind of put my what do you say? How do you, how do you say that? Um, Put your hat in the ring. Yeah, my money where my mouth is, or whatever. Yeah. Um, just putting myself out there and saying like, yeah, like I actually believe this, and this is something that I want to be a face of. As I've gotten into the career, there's there's a lot more that goes into it. So I, I'm not sure how long I want to stay. You know, if I want that to be my whole career, my whole life. But um, I'm I'm proud to say that I am a police officer. And you are how old? I'm 23. 23. Yeah. So I'm old enough to be your older brother. Probably, yep. Yeah. yeah. 33, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I think I think just like as the nation became more politically divided, I, I wanted to be someone who was actually doing something, not just like bantering or posting on social media. And if you look at my social media, I don't, I rarely post now, or if at all. And um, because I feel like I'm making a difference, like, day to day with people like one on one. So let me stop you there. Are you are you are you allowed to talk about the instance the incidents that you have that you're involved with without giving names? Can you can you like if you yep. wanted to share like hey, I have like maybe you have a little data you know, the cop daily log section of your Facebook page where you can say, Hey, this is this is a situation I ran into and this is how I handled it and this is how this was the outcome. Are you allowed to do that? Yeah, totally I mean, obviously I have the First Amendment. I can talk about what I want. Um there are like active investigations and stuff that like out of respect we keep that private for, for families and whatever. Um and I can be in trouble for sharing personal information. Um 
through the policies that our department has. Which makes sense. Which, yeah, which, and I, I totally agree with because I wouldn't want people sharing something that happened to me either. So, um, but yeah, I can, I can talk about, and, and that's probably the greatest part about the job is the stories that you, that I have. Even in a year, I've got some pretty, pretty wild stories that, um, I think they sound crazier than what people interpret them to be, right? Like they, people are like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, but just part of the job, you know, it's just. Are you already becoming numb? Oh, a little bit? Maybe, maybe just a tiny bit, a little, little bit. Like I've gone on so many accidents. I can't even tell you how many accidents I've done. And I felt, I felt bad because even yesterday I went on an accident and this lady who was in her mid thirties, um, was pretty upset and crying, but the accident was fairly minor. Like she, her car wasn't totaled. Both of her bumpers were like off kind of, but not completely removed from the vehicle. And that was it. That was the damage that occurred to her vehicle. So she got bumped pretty good and it pushed her out of the roadway and it just spooked her. But for me, like I'm looking at it as a, at a logistical thing, like, okay, these are the steps I have to take to get my paperwork done, to get them out of here safely and then to get to the next call. So sometimes like I go to something and I want to be compassionate, but I'm like, wow, this is like absurdly minor. Why are you crying about that lady? hundred percent. Yep. And it's just, that's just part of the job. Like I, you see it all day long, every day. So um, people want to have like, Oh, I got, I got an accident, but you can't see, you can't see damage to their vehicle. And they're like, well, I can see it's right here. And I'm like, well, the rest of your vehicle looks way worse than that scratch. So I, you know, if they have some beater car that got door dinged, they want to have a report done. I'm like, holy cow, okay. <laughs> Why? <laughs> so I was a, an EMT years ago, and oh. one of the things that stuck with me, they said, everybody's emergency is their emergency. Yep. And you have to treat it as such. Yep. And while you may look at that and go, really? Why are you whining about that? To them, it's trauma. And yep. it's a it's a big deal. It's a huge deal, yeah. And some people are we're just all different and we handle things differently. Totally. And and the flip side of that, um, is that which which I'm grateful for, it is their trauma, right? So like when I do go to something really serious that someone actually is in pain or suffering some terrible injuries or loss, I can go, Not me, not my family, not my life. It's not happening to me. Which is good because you can handle it better and you're 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 more of a benefit and a blessing than a, if you were a, yeah. an a, a, uh, emotional mess. Yeah. I'd like to think if you that cried most, at every call you went to. Oh my gosh. I'd like to think that people call 911 because they want help, not because they want someone else there to be Atten an emotional mess. Or, attention. Yeah. 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 So you want their pain eased. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, we'll talk more about some of these experiences you've had, but I want to talk first of all, uh, I think it's been about a month or so since that that woman went into that sh school in Nashville and killed oh, those six yep. six people. And literally, several days after that, we had a scare at the local high schools of an active shooter. So, yeah. you were on were you on duty that day? I was. Yep. And that, of course, none of it. We didn't know it was a scare. It was. We were getting all these calls from the school and the notifications yeah. saying lockdown. So, as a parent. You know, my son's going to the local Salem Hills High School. I'm not panicking, but no, but concerned. Yeah, concerned. So course. tell me, when you get that call, tell me, just walk us through. Yeah. As a new, is it, 
I mean, that's probably probably haven't had haven't had an active shooter no. anything no, in was, this area. Yeah, that was my first active shooter call. I mean, I've had serious calls where you know there's guns involved or or people have been hurt like that, but um, that was probably the the most serious one I've gotten. Um, but what was interesting was the morning that morning. I was working a day shift, um, so I, that means I check on at six and I get it done at four, six a.m., four p.m. And um, we had studied, kind of did a, a debrief of the Nashville shooter body cam footage of what you know what occurred and, and talking about how they tactically handled it. And it was cool because everybody on patrol was just talking about it and go, okay, well, this would be great training. You know, we could spend hours looking at this video and how they cleared these rooms and, and whatnot. So fast forward to, I don't know when the call came out, nine o'clock or something like that. Some, something kind of early in the morning. Um, they assigned it to me, actually. They they got on the radio and said, um, my call number at the time was 6J37. And I said, 6J37, will you copy an active shooter? And out of like, just instinct, you know, I just say, yeah, go ahead. And when I say go ahead, that means to, to give me the details, what's going on, where do I need to go? So as they're doing that, you know, I'm flipping my car around, turn my lights on, sirens, and I'm going. And I can see on the, the computer the addresses at the high school. And, you know, they're telling me that there's some casualties, that there was, you know, a male with a handgun there. And um, Can I stop you for a second? Yeah, of course. Is that the school you graduated from? It is. Yep. So that's even more of a connection. You know people there. I know people there. Um, there's people that like my mom went to school with that she knows was there. Like just you know, pe- just familiar. And and obviously like I knew the layout of the school, so I'm sure there's you know officers there who I, I would assume most of our de- officers in our department know the layout of the high school pretty well. But I went to school there, so I know like every details of the hallways. Anyways, yeah, just. Showed up there and and kind of went to work. Um, I don't know how far in depth you want me to. As much to as you go. want. Okay. Um, we get to the you know the front door and I by this time I have my AR out and it's it's hot meaning it's you know loaded and chambered ready to go. And we look for things when we're going onto scenes like that, right? We're we're listening for either people screaming or running. Or, you know, we're listening for gunshots. We're looking for to sort of identify, yeah. isolate where you need to go to go. Yeah, to to find the threat immediately because that's that's our number one priority is to is to time. neutralize that threat. Yep, it's it's time. It's about being fast, but also being safe. So there's that balance of like obviously we want to be there to save people, but we also don't want to put a bunch of other people at risk while, while doing that. So when we got in that the front, um, I don't know what you would call that, the commons area of the the school next to the main offices there was nothing like that i mean teachers were confused as to why we were there and we have assault rifles out and you know we're people are grabbing body armor and we look like we're military you know walking into the school ready to to kill somebody that's ultimately what which aka means neutralize the threat yes yeah no not i get you yeah (laughs) there's there's a difference between homicide and murder right homicide means you take action that causes someone else's death, but murder means you have intent to take their life. So yeah. um, there's there's some nuance there. But um, anyways, we got into that school and we didn't see or hear anything like that. No broken glass, no blood anywhere, nobody screaming, no one running, just 
confusion as to why we were there. And um, so we kind of slowly, deliberately were clearing rooms. Um, and there's like tactical things that we do while, while doing that. But we got about halfway through the main building. And by that time, there was 20 or 30 officers, you know, in, that I had seen. And there's obviously other officers on the other sides of the campus. And no one, no one had reported anything or found anything. And dispatch, honestly, dispatch, I feel bad for them because they, <laughs> it's one, it's like one individual trying to keep track of all of our radio traffic and give us information. I'm sure there was other people on, you know, on the other end helping her, but she's trying to tell us that Provo got the same type of hoax. And then there's been other reports of this same thing. Cause it was across multiple counties, wasn't it? Yeah. So I, I know that PG and Provo had the same hoax. I don't know what other places did. Um, but I know that there was multiple more than, more than just those us three, um, that had the same hoax. So anyways, we, you know, clear the school and we don't find anything, but while we're clearing, we 100% believe that there was something in there. There was, we were going to find someone. So, um, that puts well, you, you have to treat it that way. Oh yeah, of course. And, and, and hindsight 2020, that was probably the best training you could ever ask for because it felt a hundred percent real to everybody, but it wasn't real. No one was so, shooting back. No one was shooting back. There was no, no one got hurt. There wasn't even, there was not a threat at all. Like there wasn't someone that we could even grab. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the face value of it. You know, there's obviously like some tactical aspects of handling it. And I'm not, I'm not an expert at all. I'm, I'm barely a beginner because I'm not on SWAT. I'm, I've only been working for a year. So I've only been to a couple trainings with school shooting stuff. So I'm, I'm no expert, but, um, you know, I, we did our, everyone did their best and everyone was there to help, which, which was super cool to see. I know you're only 23 and I don't want to focus on your age, but when I was in school, these things never happened. Yeah. Of course that was, when I was in high school, that was 85, 86, 87. So a day or two ago. Yeah. This didn't happen anywhere. What do you think? What do you, th I mean, it's, it's probably a thousand I mean, reasons. Yeah. You can't say it's what's one Well, it's the breakdown of the family. It's the social media. It's well, it's mental health. Yeah. It's, it's probably all of those. But I wonder what it is about someone who thinks, like, it, I have this theory. If if if, if you're going to go on a shooting spree, you should start with yourself. But there's <laughs> yeah, just thinking, right. I'm going to go, is it, is it, and I guess we'll never know. Yeah. Why the people why, do that? Like, yeah. do they want the What's, fame? Do they see the fame? Is it, is it, because I know the first big one was Columbine in 99. Yep. I think it was 99. I, to be honest, I, I can't pinpoint it to one thing. I think it's because it's probably not. Yeah, it's it's yeah, but I I think some of it is is an attention thing, like you said, the fame. I don't know if it's really fame more more than it is like wanting to be heard or something like that. That's a huge human need. Yes, yeah. Is is I think I would people would rather be be heard or be understood, heard, yeah. understood, or or hated. Or hated or loved, but not dismissed. Yeah. Ignored. As long as they're recognized. Ignored. Yep. Yeah. I, I think there's a they'd lot of truth be, behind that. They'd rather be recognized by some form of attention than not recognized at all. And I think even you can see that from the 
beginning of life, right? Like children are that way. They they'll cry when they need something or they cry when they want attention. But anyways, back to the school shooting thing, that's a little bit more severe than crying. Um, I, I think it, I think it's just an attention type of thing. They, they've been struggling with something for so long and they're not getting enough answers or, or they aren't getting the, the detailed, um, I don't know. Yeah. Attention, whether it's like love or I don't know. Cause each, each one is so different, but I just think that attention is needed and this act gets huge forms of attention. Um, but if you look at it in, <laughs> in probably the best perspective possible, you realize that that attention is not going to last very long. And when you're walking in there to shoot innocent people, you're probably going to get shot as well. And so. this whole, this whole <clears throat> death by cop, yeah. like if someone wants to kill themselves, but they don't want to do it themselves. So they do these things. It's just a real thing. That's something I'd never heard of either yeah, until recently. Yeah, that's. I think that's super. That's super common to to be honest in in suicide. I mean, I don't know the statistics. I'm not. I'm no expert again. But people, if they want to harm themselves, they will do so. But it might be easier to convince someone else to do it for you, if that makes sense. I've never had those thoughts, and I've never thought so far to make someone else want to do that to me i just can't imagine what that person's experiencing to feel those things or think those things but i think i think ultimately it's just it's easier and we don't want to be the instigator of that so we do our best to help people get the help they need and at the resources that we have available but you know we're, we're there to you know protect other people but if someone is going to hurt themselves then we there's not much we can do legally and we don't want to get involved and escalate it. So there's that fine line of like kind of understanding what someone needs and listening to their, their needs. Kind of like we said earlier, someone needs to be heard, you know, whether they're loved or hated, they need to be heard. So um, I, I feel like we have to recognize what they need. Since your training has been so recent, do they, are they focusing more on teaching you guys how to recognize mental health issues because a mental health issue could look like someone not complying. I mean, you see, I think there's been a few stories where someone had, someone was autistic or something and cop felt threatened and they got shot. Totally. Are they, do they focus on that? Cause I know that's been a lot of the big arguments is more money needs to be spent on sending out counts or social workers instead, which is a whole nother <laughs> level of mess yeah. that, that would, could be dangerous. Totally. But, yeah. Versus just, you know, the, again, this is media doing this saying, oh, cops are just out there to, they just want to shoot people. Shoot well, people yeah, no, I don't, nah, I don't think that's, there may be the, the, the rare case, whether some idiot becomes a cop because he's just an arrogant asshole. Yeah. And I feel like you can take that perspective into any career anywhere, like, you don't like your boss and your boss got into this career because he wants to make money and who anyways, you can, I feel like you can take that perspective anywhere with, with being an officer, you have authority, but there's some, there's some guidelines. They don't let just anybody become a cop, at least not in Utah. There's, I think different States are, have different criteria, but there was kids in my class who didn't get approved to be officers at the time. They had to wait, had a probation period or whatever. 
sorry, you'll have to repeat the question to me again. What? Just. Yeah, oh, teaching, teaching about. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mental health. Sorry, mental health. Yeah. Versus just you yeah. Know. I feel like in the academy, we we actually focused a lot on on that, and we we did like live scenarios. We watched videos. We talked about statistics, and there's tons of different mental health disorders out there. So I, again, I'm no expert in that, but um, it's really hard to recognize when someone's experiencing a mental health crisis versus like a drug induced crisis. So I feel like we kind so of, there's a fine line, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, it, there's no a really fine line and, and they probably go hand in hand because a lot of mental health Ill, or mental illnesses, whatever are handled with, um, with drugs. So that's kind of a, a fine line that we have to learn how to, how to, um, understand and read. But ultimately, like at the end of the day, we're there to keep others safe and everyone we're dealing with, you know, safe. So whether it's autism and they're just having a, a moment where they are trying to process something or they're on meth and they don't realize where they're at and can't listen to and commands. Can't listen to, yeah. And don't, don't recognize what we are, who we are, what we're telling them to do either way, their actions can still cause danger to themselves or to others. Someone cracked out in meth in the middle of the road. I've seen that. I've seen that multiple times. And what do I do? Right. Do I grab them? Do I try to tell them to come over? What if they can't hear me? What if they don't understand me? What if they think I'm something or trying to kill them or speak or a different language, speak a different language. Language. I'm some demon who, who knows, right? So they can have any type of outcome to what I'm trying to help them do. So ultimately the physics behind it is that, yeah, you're going to have to grab them or you're going to have to do something to immobilize them, to get them in a safer place that that's, that's better for them to be <laughs> either tackled or, or wrapped up and grabbed than to be in the middle of the roadway at six in the morning tweaking off meth and and at the end of the day i would hope that most people would see it that, that way that what i was trying to do was is help this person right now that's that's a scenario that again everything every detail matters but i had a scenario like that where there's this this female who regular drug user um she was having some hallucinations whatever um she recognized who i was and she was which was good like she was able to follow me but she was in the middle of the road, like dancing around, flailing her arms, doing weird things. And it was early, early in the morning and there was lots of traffic. But when it's dark out, it is really hard to see someone if they don't have any type of reflective anything on and they're in the middle of the road and they shouldn't be. I had to stop traffic at six in the morning and I'm out there in a black vest and I'm people can't see me very well. I'm trying to get her to the side of the road, walking across four lanes of traffic and that's just, you know, that was a 20 minute moment of one day of my career. Right. But we deal with things like that all the time and we just have to learn how to recognize how to handle that and, and do what we think is best. So do you, so Spanish, what's this population of Spanish fork? 40,000? Yeah. 40, almost probably close to 50,000 now, I would assume. And how many officers on the, on the team? As of right now, 42 but, 42 for 40, 50,000. Yeah, so one per 10, roughly. Can, but, you, can you handle 10,000? <laughs> I can barely handle one, <laughs> you know? And and I think I think people out there think that we have all these tools on our belt and we're able to just, like, take on 12 people at once, but it's just not the reality. Even 
I don't know, even one one person could take out two officers, right? They just, if they were determined determined enough or, you know, if they had drug-induced or some type of psychosis thing and they're not feeling pain or whatever, like, there's tons of scenarios like that, but um, we're not Superman, we're not invincible either, and I think that's something that... Are you saying, are you healthy. suggesting that you are human? I am human, and I'm I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, and I can get hurt. And... No, 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 no. You cannot. No cops <laughs> cannot make mistakes. I know. You have to be, I was just talking with someone about this. You have to <laughs> yeah. be a counselor. You have to be perfect. You have to be RoboCop. You cannot, and you, have to, and you have to do this within two seconds. Yep. No pressure. No pressure. Yep. Totally. I, one day, um, I got done doing CPR on a guy. Um, I've done CPR now more than I can count. And that's not a bragging thing because every officer at our department. Yeah. What's your record then? Yeah. Are you over? What's your record? <laughs> well, you hit a point where EMS takes them. So a lot of times I don't even know what happens with them, whether they die or not. Um, there's been a couple of times where I, that someone has died, um, even despite our efforts. So I'm zero for two. Zero for two. Yeah. So I, yeah, I'll I, I admit don't, that. I know that I it's rough. I'm, I don't even know how many. I've done CPR so many times. I know that one I know was confirmed dead. Another one was transported by EMS. And later, this was only a few weeks ago that I found out that he actually did die. We thought we thought he had a pulse and they were taking him. But eventually he, he actually passed away. So I guess I'm 0 for 2 as well. But, all right. sadly <laughs> but it's well, just not not my fault right no like, it's not it's not your emergency and you do the best you can yep it's done with, but, with the information but anyways what, what i was trying to get with that was i was doing cpr on one on my guy and i think ems took him he had a heart attack and i did cpr on him for like five minutes or something like that and then the next call i went to was to unlock somebody's car they locked their keys in their car from one extreme to the other and she was so pissed at me like absurdly pissed that i was like 10 minutes late or like it took 10 minutes from when she called dispatch and i said sorry i was doing cpr on somebody and even even that was she was like don't care okay and i was like okay i got her car open in less than like 30 seconds it was no problem but just because it took me so long to get there because i was helping someone else on another call and we were limited in resources it wasn't how enough. dare you save a life over me locking my keys in my car i know it's wild it's wild how much which i mean everyone's emergency is their emergency and, and i get that but i feel like there are there are some priority calls that we have you know someone's having a heart attack and their life is on the line then we're going to deal with that before we deal with your vin inspection or opening your car door for you you know those are the last last things on our on our list because we're dealing with people's lives sometimes what is the craziest thing you've seen so far um i'm sure some of this people will see as traumatic and i i don't know maybe i'm so young or i'm so new to it or i just i'm stowing it away for another day but i had i had um pretty early in my career i had a suicide that i went to that was actually pretty pretty violent and um, successful suicide a successful for, suicide for the horrible yeah, for a horrible of the, use of, successful, of success yes but um again not my not my emergency right not my problem but um i got another call of a report of a gunshot wound um and obviously when people are calling dispatch when they're seeing something like that 
they're pretty hysterical and it's really hard to get detailed information but i'm also trying to get there quickly because i hear gunshot wound did someone shoot them did yeah. they shoot are they themselves still, are, are they, they still, still shooting yeah who like what i have no idea all i know is gunshot wound and i gave you some details of that it was a suicide but what if you didn't know that right what if all you heard was gunshot wound so that that was my mind right my, my thought process getting there and and as the details were coming out i had other experienced officers get on the radio and say, you know, is where's the gun at? Where's the individual with the gun? How many people have been hurt? And, and slowly, slowly we got details that um, husband, you know, shot himself and wife was hysterical and was there, but we get there on scene and we see a gun and we see someone with a terrible gunshot wound. And, um, but I, I have to draw my weapon and, and know that, who knows who shot him right did he shoot himself that's what we're being told how do you know that so there's open doors there's people standing around you know people crying people freaking out no one's really given us answers so me and another officer we clear this building which i say clear this building and it sounds so like easy but every moment of clearing a building is your life is, is at risk because you don't know. 100%, yeah. Am I going to get shot? Am I going to shoot somebody? And is there somebody around this corner? Is my buddy going to get shot? So we cleared the building. There was no one there. It was obviously he had done it to himself, but not just for our physical safety, but also like the legal side of it. We had to prove that, right? We have to prove that this person did it to himself. Because when someone's dead, they can't talk to you and tell you, yeah, I did this. And when wife is there being hysterical and she's telling us, oh, yeah, yeah, he, he did it to himself. She could be a suspect. She could too. be a suspect. You have no idea, right? But we want to be, we also want to be respectful, right? Because if, if he did do that to himself and she had to see that, that's awful. That's sad. But if she did it to him, that's awful and sad too. So what, there's two sides to that coin of we get there and we don't know because we weren't there to see it so anyways that that one was a pretty sad one to see um because it was so it's so violent and then the guy was in a, a later stage of his life and it was just sad to see that someone kind of in a good position from from my perspective like if if i was i don't know i, I don't know every detail of his life but it seemed like he had you know a big family he had nice property he was married now you said later stage of life that was a veiled attempt to say he was old yes a little bit <laughs> so yep. I, I don't want to say like what age like what age would you around 60 okay yep so, so seasoned seasoned he was a seasoned yeah. man yeah but not like like retirement age right not not deathbed age when but in all actuality that's when you're in your prime you're, you're retired you're, yeah, yeah yeah you're living your best life i would think right every house has a story yeah but I, but again i don't know i don't know the ins and outs of what was going on between his marriage or like if he was in debt i i don't know any of that right but i look at his life and i go wow like why would somebody at that stage in their life want to want to take their life want to check out yeah and, and honestly i could ask that why to every every suicide right why why at somebody at 18 what they want they got their whole life ahead of them why someone at 25 like but again like we don't know every detail of someone's life so asking why i heard i heard one of my sergeants say this you know he said asking why will never i'll never really help you because you're never going to get that the understanding answer. you're never going to get the answer ever because 
there's probably no right answer to why suicide is okay or, or why someone would do that. So, you know, racking your brain with that is not, not worth it. So instead look at the things that in, in your life and, and why you want to live and, and find those purposes. So anyways, that, that was the, the craziest call I've probably gone to. Um, I've been to a lot of crazy calls, but that one, that one was pretty sad. So, and it was probably the first one. So, yeah. Cause when you show up, it's not cause people have made good decisions. Yeah. Most of the time. Yep. I, Hey officer. Hey, uh, thanks for showing up. Everything's going great today. We've made all the right choices. Uh, thanks for showing up. Yep. Yeah. That doesn't happen probably. Nope. Nobody calls and says, I passed my final and I just wanted to share that with you and I, or I got married or I don't I, They don't, it's pretty rare that I talk to somebody and they're like, I have a happy story to tell you. Right. But so right now this is a very fulfilling career for you. Right? It is, yeah. Why? That's what? a good question. Tell me the good parts. Tell me the, the things that um, make you get up in the morning and, and love to come and talk totally. to your And you work a night shift because you're new, so they stick you with night shifts? I've been really lucky. We do kind of like a bid schedule, so I get a little bit of both. I've had morning. I've had like the day shift. I've had graveyard shifts. I've had swing shift. I prefer the swing shift because um, I can see some of, the, some of the things at night, and I can get into some of the more crime quote unquote and then i also like the day because i can deal with i feel like better people so i get to see a little bit of both honestly our department does a really good job with scheduling and i would work any schedule and any hours because i just enjoy who i work with and and the hours that i work so i I don't mind that are you assigned a certain part of the city or just nowhere yep i cover and how many guys on on so there's and for all you bad guys listening, <laughs> yeah. mute your thing right now because this yeah like how many officers on on shift at any at given time? time? Yeah, it it gets busier um, probably around like four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon. So that's when we have probably the most coverage, is what we call it, um, the, the most swing shift cars um, at the most like eight officers on patrol but we also have like on-call detectives i mean if there was any emergency any of our officers could come out and and help do other agencies in adjacent cities know that hey like that school shooting scare i'm sure they came from everywhere yep they came from all over i mean and county yep utah highway patrol yep yep i had i had people from county i had highway patrolmen with me i know i had a couple mapleton officers and like a salem officer there was Pace and Santa Quinn. I think even Springville showed up. Like, I mean, all adjacent areas are going to help out on certain calls. And even if, so like if we had a busy, busy night and there was only eight of us on duty at, you know, one day, there's going to be county officers that are going to help. There's going to be Mapleton, Springville, just anybody who gets approval. If they're not busy, they're going to come help. So I could so say all eight, di- but. Different departments, different agencies, but everybody's on the same team. 100%. Yep. Yep. And we all work together and it's, our job is, and I think this is why you see so many officers kind of jumping different cities. Your job is this almost the same everywhere you go, right? You can, the law is the same across the, the entire state. So it's enforced pretty much the same. Now, when it comes to prosecuting it in the courts, counties might differ on how they prosecute and what they do and different plea deals and 
that's for the courts to decide, but to enforce the law, law enforcement is pretty much the same across the entire state. Earlier, you talked about how, before we started, the damage you're seeing that drugs are doing mm-hmm. and, and will probably forever be in our... Oh, yeah. This yeah. whole war on the drugs is stupid, really, because it, it, it nothing's, not gonna, nothing's changed. Sure. It's the same garbage in fact it's probably getting worse yeah what you're seeing but how is that yeah um, affecting our world and people's obviously we the long and short of is it it makes you stupid and make dumb decisions (laughs) pretty much nobody nobody wakes up or says you know that's that's on my bucket list i want to be an addict of some kind man there are some people who wake up that way though well they do now (laughs) they do but they didn't they didn't before nobody nobody does that no And, and, and not early in their life but if there's people who are addicted to drugs now where drugs are their top priority and they could care less who is in their way to get them. And I think that's why, like like I said earlier before we started recording, drugs, before I got into law enforcement, I thought drugs was, not that I would call it a victimless crime because I I did think that there was some sort of victimization that, that happens, but um, it's probably worse than I realized, like, a lot of things, a lot of crime stems from, from drug usage. And, um, I agree the war on drugs, the addiction that the drugs cause. Yes. They're so they'll do anything just to get that. Yeah. Like I said, they'll do anything, no matter who's in their way, they'll steal from their grandma, right? They'll break into their grandma's house, steal her jewelry, sell that money to get drugs. They will do that. Well, I have a young friend who's serving his second, term in federal prison he's wow man i think he's 35 now in federal prison federal wow well he he got addicted to heroin he was at 15 16 he started using he he, yeah. he he's brilliant and he said well i'm just going to try this for sort of a like, scientific experiment and he got yeah, hooked too in. late yeah rob banks multiple times the first time yeah. and second time so that's why he's in federal prison yeah and but that but that addiction he said uh, in fact, I've had him on here three times. Hmm. Um, bef- in between his federal, in, in between federal stays, he got out for a while. So okay. I was able to get his story. Interesting. And he said the things he would do. Just didn't care. That was your yeah. only. Uh, I can't. I've never. I've been addicted to stupid Mountain Dew. Yeah, ca- caffeine. Caffeine maybe yeah, for if a that. couple months in my life. Sure. I have no idea what that's like. Yeah. It runs your world. Yeah. And, and that's, what's crazy is there that drugs are that powerful. There is something out there that's that powerful, that it affects your body so severely that you throw every like moral code out the window. I, I mean, uh, give me some details. Yeah. There's some, uh, yeah. I haven't experienced anything like this, but I, but I know that the, there's stories like this, right? Like people will do, they'll, either harm people they'll go rob things they will sell their body they will do absurd things to get drugs because that's what they want that's what they live for their body like craves it more than more than you crave air it's it's wild and it's just sad that people's lives get destroyed and controlled by those substances but an inanimate substance yeah yep it's something that you have to it's, you have to have. It's an addiction. Is it's a disease, but it's it's a disease that you that you've self created. Start, you started hundred percent. Obviously, your intentions were was probably just to numb some pain. Sure. Yep. And and I do like 
the gateway drug argument. I, I don't know where I stand on if I want to legalize all drugs or ban all of them. <laughs> because I think it starts from something as simple as like, oh, I'm having pain in my knee or I'm having pain in my neck. And then you get prescribed a, a drug and then you use it more than when you're supposed to and no one's there to enforce how you're using it. And then you go back to your doctor and get a maybe a little bit heavier prescription and then you use that really fast. And then that's not enough. And then you start finding people who have it and either stealing from them or buying it off them if they're going to sell it to you. So it, it just... It can just start from something simple, right? It can start from, like you said, I want to numb the pain or it's, you know, a science experiment. I've never tried it before, just curiosity. But the chemical is so empowering that, so overpowering probably is a better word to say, that you have, you lose control and you lose yeah, control on. I, I hear this like, oh, one time and you're hooked. And part of me is like, really, you know, really? BS. But. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I don't know either, and I, I sure hope I never, ever know that. But um, I know that I'm, drugs are so dangerous that, like, people who don't take drugs regularly, illegal drugs regularly, when they do, like, there's videos of officers who, um, fentanyl right now is, like, you know, the craze, right? That was my next question. Yep. So we can get into that, but we have like certain protocols on how we handle fentanyl if we ever encounter it because someone who is not a user who doesn't have a tolerance to it, the tip of a sharpened pencil, that amount of fentanyl can kill a man, which I've heard. Yep. That's mind blowing. It's, it is. It's wild. Right. But that's, that's crazy. How can we have, I don't know how science has done this, right? We've become so advanced, but we have chemicals that are that powerful. Something that small can kill you. It's, it's crazy. And people build up a tolerance and, and want that stuff because it's just stronger. And the stronger it gets, the more dangerous. So it someone's gets. willingly consuming fentanyl. It's not just, cause oh, I've, I've been yeah. hearing this again, this is media. It's been laced. It's, it's in, it, it put it in other drugs. It's both. And, and that same argument is, is applied to meth and it was probably applied to heroin, you know, no different. Like, so like, like marijuana, for example, um, it's kind of a, how do you say this? It's a controversial topic on whether it should be legal or not, but people obtaining it illegally are obtaining it that way because they want a stronger high because it's, it's better for them, more addictive. Um, but when it's created with, that stuff usually people the people that are creating those drugs are also creating harder and more dangerous drugs and then there's no one there regulating the creation of it so how do you know that your meth doesn't have fentanyl how do you know that your thc vape doesn't have meth in it or doesn't have fentanyl itself in it? you don't you don't know that because it's not regulated and i get it that's like an authoritarian thing and what people the government regulating what you can and can't have i get i get that but there are some lines of protecting yourself that you need to take the responsibility of realizing I'm getting this from a shady place and there is some absurd risk that comes with that. So drugs, I don't know, drugs just stem into everything and it's, it's sad that people get addicted to them and either die or their life gets ruined from it. It's a whole mess. Do you, is that like a majority of your interaction with the community is 
drug-related incidents or accidents or medical or mm. what is it? Yeah, I would I would say probably every day I deal with I have I take an accident almost every day. So I wouldn't say everything I do is related to drugs, but drugs I think promote a lot of crime. A lot of repeat offenders if that if I were to describe it. So I don't feel like there's many people out there who are like mass murderers who aren't either psychologically have something wrong with them, right? But people who like commit theft and burglaries and robbing banks, things like that, I feel like usually it's, it stems from drug addiction. They're it's just not, desperate. Yeah, they're desperate for that drug. They're not desperate to to go rob a bank. It's it's what they're trying to do behind robbing that bank. They want the money. Why do they want the money? Well, they want the money to go buy drugs because they're addicted. <laughs> so it's not just that they get a high from robbing a bank. They get a high from being high. So they will do anything to do that no matter what loops loopholes they have to jump through so yeah yeah. not not a majority of my things are drugs i would say probably less than half of the things i deal with are drugs but drugs themselves are related to a lot of crimes so that makes makes perfect sense yeah um what tell me tell me like an incident that's there was just a good not an incident but a good experience someone came i don't know maybe someone came up to you and thanked you for what you do or because, you know, it's kind of a thankless yeah. job sometimes, I think. I, I think my theory is that 80% of the population appreciate someone in law enforcement. Yeah, I would agree. And, and maybe the – I don't know. I've done my the research. percent of the criminals. I've done my research. <laughs> but uh, the people that appreciate, you know, and the, you know, people don't want to have less yeah. law enforcement. Yeah. But my job is very political. Obviously, it's very morally political. Um, but – the what support do you, we do. What get. do you mean by that when you say your job is political? Um, I mean, if you like authority, law enforcement, right? We have we have more authority to do certain things to more or less limit people's rights, right? Like, oh, you have the, you're authorized to take away someone's freedom. That's yeah, a big responsibility. It's a big responsibility, right? Like, what? Um, like, say, what weighs on you the most? What weighs on and I think I've most. asked you too many questions. No, Answer the no, first. You're one. good. You're good. Yeah, we'll go to the the first one, which is um, the good. The good that I see. Part of the good is like me just being able to help somebody, and I I get a thank you. You know, when I get a thank you from someone when they're in need, that's super fulfilling. Um, it's kind of service oriented, right? Um, I would say that's like the root of it is service. But the second is that like just generally the community people who who respect us, you know, appreciate us and they'll either come up to us while we're at lunch and say thank you or they'll bring, you know, cookies to the police department and just say thank you for what you do. What no donuts? Come on. <laughs> no donuts the not jokes. anymore. Yeah. Those I'm jokes sure, will never I'm die. Sure, no, we get donuts all the time, but Of course. Um I like cookies. Gotta, I like cookies. You have to <laughs> keep the stereotype going. I know, I should. Yeah. You're but, a little too thin, Renee. You don't have a belly yet. Oh, I've <laughs> You're getting there. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm sure. Yeah, but no, I, I, we get good from we get good interactions from good people, right? And it's just rewarding to be someone that's helping someone in need, and then having that like that love and respect of what we do for them. So I can't think of any one specific scenario where I felt like, wow, like that was just so amazing, so cool. But just generally, like almost weekly we get someone who will come by and bring something to the department and that i think is super unique to 
either Utah or our city alone. I'm not saying that we're the only city in Utah that experiences that, but I could think about Las Vegas and I, I wonder if Las Vegas gets donuts, you know, I don't know if they get that same, maybe they get poker chips. Yeah, maybe <laughs> I'm sure there's some, <laughs> Oh, I'm sure there's some corruption. That was somewhere. A, well, but... <laughs> that, that was a total stereotypical. Yeah. <laughs> Vegas and gambling. Here's Vegas, some chips, right? Yeah. Some donuts, but no, but it, besides Vegas, I guess, um, What's another huge city that would suck to work for? I don't know. L.A., Louisville. Yeah, Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky Kentucky is 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 it's got some it's got some eyeballs on it right now. Yeah. Um, yep. I I think those cities, I I can't speak for them because I don't I've never worked for another city other than Spanish Fork, so I, I don't know. But I would hope that they get the same amount of support that we get. You know, but I. I can only yeah. imagine that that's not true. My limited understanding, and, and my friend uh, Dexter, who's a cop in the Louisville metro area, and other people that I have other communities, they, they say no. I mean, they, it, the politics, the bigger it is, the more politicians and politics are involved. And yeah. it's you know, it's a lot of CYA. I believe that. It's sad. CYA, yeah. We use that. We say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm different, and maybe someone else would have a better perspective than me. But if if I worked for a city like that, where I wasn't like every day, I was just getting hated on, and there wasn't even a glimpse of like respect or like appreciation, I don't know if I I would stay in that career or at least work for that city. You know, I wouldn't do that. Well, he was telling me recently that during the protests of 2020, there were people who he used to go to church with. And Dexter, if you're listening, talking about you, man, that he actually went to church with church. Yeah, they were church brothers and sisters, sure. spitting on him and and saying vile, horrible things on him. Yeah, it, knowing that it was him, you know, even yeah. And he said, "That's that's a tough. That's that makes it tough to be a Christian." Yeah, yeah. Like, how, how can of we, you know we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and then out on a protest and you're yelling vile things at me and people. I think he's even confronted some of them. And they still feel the same way. Yeah. Because they got in this mindset, the cops are the devil. Yeah. That, you know, you don't have a lot of protests in Spanish Fork. To take another unique perspective on that, um, I think people see police and they think, you know, they think kind of like a hive mind mentality, right? So I'll give you a scenario. We show up to houses all the time and they're like, oh, I've pro- you've probably been here before or you probably know this or, or they just start talking to you about details of what's going on assuming that you being a physically different person have heard and understood everything that they said to an officer who was there two minutes before you were, they, they complete, they a hundred percent think that you, because you have police on your, your because vet. they spoke to one robot that, that, automatic that other ro- message went to it, every robot. That's interesting. I I've, I've experienced that a lot where you go up and they go, they start telling you details or like, and, and maybe I was in the vicinity, right? But right now I'm talking with you, but someone could be out here. And then if you continued your conversation with that other person, they'd be like, what are you talking about? That's how people treat us a lot of the time when we go on um, different scenes. There, there are some people who recognize that we are an individual. We're different people. We didn't hear that. But the amount of times that I have to tell somebody, I have no idea what you're talking about. Give me the details. Who's this? You know, they start saying names like Johnny did this and Johnny was over here. I'm like, who's Johnny? 
oh, Johnny lives here. Is he your boyfriend? Is he your brother? Is he your dad? Is he your son? Who is Oh, yeah, they, they, yeah, they just assume. They, they just assume. They assume yeah. we know exactly what we're talking about, and, or exactly what they're talking about. And um, I think that same perspective is taken in, like when you're talking about the riots, right? Like every cop is the person who killed George Floyd, right? Every Every cop is Derek Chauvin. Every cop is this one. This one bad cop makes every cop a bad cop, and that same perspective happens when I go on scene. And I'm dealing with domestic violence, and there's four officers there, and we're talking to the victim and the suspect, and the suspect is telling us things, and the victim is telling someone else those same things. We cross compare over stories, and compare stories. And then the suspects are talking to a different officer, but they think that they've told them the same thing and they have, they haven't heard their side and they're going, what, what are you talking about? And they get upset because we don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> we're, we're a different individual. Information can only be passed along so quickly between humans and, and talking. So it's just, it's funny that because you wear police on your shirt, they think that this hive mind, right? Like if one, if one officer hears it, Every officer hears it, and everyone knows exactly what you said and what happened. It's that's, not even, that's a really interesting perspective. Yeah, that's my that's my outlook on it. Is the hive mind right? That we all just know, and we do we do talk about things, but in the moment when we show up on scene, we're not. I can't do it like that. So. It's part of your. I mean, uh, uh, I did some training with a, a young a church youth group years ago. Uh, my bishop was a reserve officer for the Palm Springs police department. And we went and did a simulator shooting simulator. Yeah. That was so real to me. Yeah. And, and, and of course, for, for those of you who don't know these shooting simulations, there's a video in front of you and depending on there, there's someone in the back running the simulator and they can, depending on what you do, they can change the outcome of, the scenario and this was 20 years ago yeah. and i remember how focused because you, you like uh what's uh, what's when you get hyper focused what do you what do you tunnel call vision it? tunnel vision yep and i just kind of lost my mind and was yelling at this perpetrator to drop his weapon and i, I went into this crazy quick rage and making sure. him do it i and i think i ended up shooting him because he turned on me yeah but there was other things going on that there was another perpetrator that I didn't even see. Yeah. I assume you're training, you know, you, you can walk into a scene and not get, you can analyze, you just wait. Cause I know as an EMT, they did the same thing. Don't just rush into a scene because you could hurt yourself. You don't know if, if there's yeah. a, a power line going to fall on you or, or something. Yeah. You well, see, you're you're hyper-focused, the car's on fire. You're hyper-focused on that fire. Yep. And you run in there, and you've become a victim. Yeah, now. there's so many variables. Um, when I go to a scene, it could be a domestic violence. You know, I show up, and when I show up, I'm I park tactically, right? I park where maybe windows can't see me, or windows aren't pointing directly at my vehicle. You know, I I try to cant my vehicle kind of at an angle so that if I have to get out quickly and and use my firearm, I have some type of cover and um, and concealment. So there's all of those things are factored into when we go to something. And, and I think sometimes it can upset people because I'll be talking with someone, but there's four other people in the room or there's people moving in and out of the house and I'm talking to them and I'm looking at them, but I'm also paying attention to what's around me. 
so they don't feel like I'm giving them attention, all my attention. But Which I'm also have. trying not to die. <laughs> well, so. yeah, because and those, I mean, those scenes can get. Uh, I was on a crash scene a few months ago down by St. George, and and there were people crawling everywhere. And I think one wow. of the, you know, I I was trying to help somebody, and then I was no longer useful. So one of the cops or the cops that showed up, he said, "Hey, if you're not part of this, just you know, go ahead and yeah, get take out. off because yep. it's so confusing. There's so much going on yep. that that could turn south so yep. quick." Hundred percent. Yeah, I went, I had an accident, I think a couple of weeks ago, and it was when it was getting warm out, people were walking, you know, had their dogs out, and people were on dates, walking around, and there was this pretty severe accident. Luckily, no one got injured, but it looks, it looked pretty violent, <laughs> and there were so many people standing around wondering what was going on. I had no idea who, who was involved. Who's who, yep. So, the husband of one of the drivers walks up, and he's like, What's going on? And I'm like, I'm like, there's an accident. Just hang out here. And he's like, that's my wife. And I'm like, sorry, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't realize sorry, that didn't you were that you, yeah. sorry. My bad. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. It's just it's funny because I, I get it. Is there people are emotionally invested, but when there's 40 people around, you don't know who's I, who. I don't know if there's. I literally had no idea who was driving the vehicles until I had to separate people and be like. Or are you involved? Like I have to, I have to look at them and say, yeah. "Are you involved?" And they go, "Oh no, no, no." Go to your corner. Like, yeah, hang out there until I call you. Yeah, kind of thing. Hundred percent. And it's, I'm 23, and I'm telling people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, just all types of, yeah, you know, but age that ranges, uniform gives you a little bit of that authority. respect and authority. Yeah. Yep, and, and yeah. people respect that. Which, again, I, I think that's unique to my city, unique to my state, whatever. But I, I I'm grateful for that. Like I show up, and people go, "Oh." Yeah, you're young, but you also know what you're doing because, like, the badge gives you that. It gives you that authority. Yeah. So I have to be tactically smart. I have to be aware of my surroundings. Like you said, it could be it could be a telephone pole or it could be a person or it could be a dog. It could be – you have no idea. So I go to houses all the time and, and there's domestic violence going on and then there's three dogs inside. I want to get rid of the dogs first because <laughs> – I can't communicate with the dogs as well as they can. So I don't know. There's just, there's risk everywhere we go and we're trained to be aware of that. So as a cop, what is the biggest thing that weighs on you? So ultimately at the end of the day, I could handle an accident and it'd be so cool to say, I solved this accident. There'll be no more accidents that'll ever happen. Right. It'd be really nice to say that you could, get one thing off the street and it'll never happen again right like we, making a huge dent in the world right difference yep crime and accidents are almost always going to exist when people are living in heavily populated areas and just that's just how it is just just logistically it's going to happen so i'm only helping the ones that i can help and i'm limited i'm limited in resource so that's that's probably the thing that weighs on me the most is that i wish i could be like I solved that murder. Now no one's going to get murdered ever again. You want to work yourself out of a job. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. It'd be nice if I didn't have a job. It would be it would help so many people in so many different ways, whether financially or just, you know, the heartache. Um, but that's that's what I would say. You know, it'd be nice to say I solved that murder. Now no murder's ever going to happen. It'd be it's true that when we solve murders, most of the time their conviction is that 
they won't be out again to murder. That won't happen again. But murder is still going to exist. It's still going to happen. As long as humans are on this planet together and there's going to be evil and good. Yep. The fight of good and evil is always there. And I feel like what I'm doing makes a difference, but it's not like a a permanent, you know, I, I marked this one off. It's done. No, no need to worry about it. Right. It's more like keeping things at bay. That's, that's what we do. So there's a story called the starfish story have you ever heard i don't know if it's called the starfish short story but here's the story is there's a uh, this this young man and his dad are walking along the beach and there's all these starfish that are beached yeah because the the tide has gone down and eventually they're gonna die and so him and his son are, are grabbing these starfish and chucking them back into the ocean and this old man comes up to them and says look down that beach there are thousands of starfish yeah, what's why, the what, what's why? the purpose? Why are you doing it? Why does it matter? And as the kids reaching back and throwing one into the water, he said, well, it mattered to that one. Yeah. So you can matter to somebody. You know, you can't save everybody, but you can matter to somebody. Yeah. I think you look at like, so I'm Christian and the savior, Jesus leaves the 99 to go help the one. And I think that that's kind of what I feel like I get to do. There's something, there's some type of purpose behind that. There's some type of like just power and importance behind that. Like, right. Like you said that it, it mattered to that one starfish and yeah, I might not make it to that other starfish and they might be upset and that starfish's family might be upset at you, but I was trying, you know, I was, I, I did something that's sad that I, I wish I could solve everybody's problems. And I wish I could say that problem is erased and it'll never, ever happen again, but at least I'm trying, right? I'm tr- I'm putting my money where my mouth is, and I'm actually doing, yeah, something behind it. So that's rewarding and weighing at the same time, you know, because it, it's impossible for me to solve the world's problems. But I feel like I get to do some of it on a day to day. Okay, excellent. Yeah. So as as we bring this train into the station, Sweet. what do you want people to know about cops that I haven't maybe asked you? Mm. Other than, um, hey, don't be assholes to them. Be nice yeah, to them. Yeah, just be, not, be nice to people. <laughs> um, probably that we are like, we're people too. And then we talked about being recognized. And I don't think that I feel like I need to be recognized. But I, I want people to understand that we're imperfect, that we are there to help. I would feel like most of the time that's what police officers are doing. But that we're, we're an individual and we're limited in resources, but we're at least trying Imperfect individuals trying to do our best. Imperfect individuals trying to save the rest of the imperfect inv- individuals. Yep. Pretty much, yeah. That's that's a great way to put it together. That is perfect. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you again for listening to the Parish the Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from the Parish the Thought Show.